The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Arr. And we are live. It is April 15th, 2020. It should have been tax day, but you have a three-month reprieve. Kate is late. Boris Johnson is back in action. We don't have fun anymore. But in lieu of fun, we have Quinta Jurassic. Um, hello. hello, Quinta Jurassic. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, uh, I was gonna say it's good to see you, except I see you all the time because we have our 9.30 Lawfare editorial meetings and uh, you are always there. So, but for all the people who have not seen you in a while, um, uh, oh, and there is Kate. Oh, I'm literally, I feel like I'm sprinting down the hallway, but I'm not, I've sat still, but I just finished like, three hours of teaching. And I was like, it was like the click talk clock was ticking and I had like 30 shiny faces in front of me. And I was like, you guys were between me and a glass of scotch. Shut up. <laughs> dude, dude, as Quinto will tell you, I said at five, four fifty-nine, just as I was beginning like, oh, I wonder. And then I said, oh, it's Wednesday. Kate teaches until uh, five. We'll just start without her and she'll be here momentarily. Yes. You needn't sprint. You needn't sprint on Wednesdays. The <laughs> scotch will be there when you get there. Yes. Um, uh, Quinta, it's great to see your face. Yeah, good to see you. I mostly experience Kate now as just disembodied words coming into my email. Um, so let's yeah. Quinta, for, for those who uh, don't know Quinta, Quinta is the managing editor of Lawfare. Um, she is the uh, uh, the only person I know who reads the newspaper and thinks about it in terms of political uh, uh, theory and maps it on to 3,000 years of political thought. The only, actually, Bill Galston does a bit of that. Yeah, I think you're uh, overselling me. No, I'm really not. Um, and. She is the, my co-author on uh, our weekly Atlantic column and Kate's collaborator on the Lawfare Podcast's special uh, disinformation series, which to the annoyance of our guest yesterday, we call Arbiters of Truth. And uh, I didn't want to say that. I was like, that's the name of my podcast. <laughs> like, we really hate that term. How much do we all hate it? Can everyone drink to hating it? And we're like, so yeah, we're using life. it in like an ironic knowing way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this that is uh, my and Kate's podcast also with Evelyn Dweck and Alina Polyakova. And we have an episode coming out tomorrow and you should listen. There you go. So here's my first question to Quinta. Which of our stuffed animals, puppets, uh, or masks uh, at the lawfare office, do you miss most when we are office in ex lawfare in exile? I, I miss the Mueller puppet. I think that we probably should have rescued him before we left. But on the other hand, he may be, you know, enjoying his well-deserved retirement alone in the darkened office. <laughs> yeah, because we have a lot of characters in the in the lawfare office. We've got the Mueller puppet. We've got the Brookings bunny. We've got the masks. And you know, uh, I feel like that's one of the things that's really missing when we're when we're sort of lawfare in exile. It's right. true. I have a, a stuffed Nietzsche doll somewhere, but that's I'm not right. sure where he is right now. I can bring him out. Oh, you, plush Nietzsche is at home. Do you have a paper bag, so. Quinta? Could you make like a stand-in Muller, like out of a paper bag? <laughs> Just draw draw <laughs> the face on it. I mean, I've my long-running joke has been that the Muller puppet looks like Sam the Eagle. Yes, um, and in fact, so you I just, thought yeah. your, your picture of that reminded me of a very important question, Ben, that we've never gotten to raise, but I think that Quinta 
is the person to answer it for us. And what's which that? Is, if we were Waldorf and Statler, uh, which one is which? Which but of us is, is which? I've never <laughs> been able to tell the most. <laughs> I, yeah, I honestly, I don't know which one is which. The difference sorry. between the two of them, I think that they're kind of the same. Exactly. And yeah. yet we are I want a different. Mustache, so I'll go with whichever one that is. <laughs> All right. I don't know which one that is. But. Okay, I'm getting my scotch now. All right, you go get your scotch. I'm going to clear the deck of some questions for Quinta that I know if we just open the floor, somebody's going to ask. Um, and so let's just clear the deck of them so that when we open the floor so that Quinta can ask questions, we've already gotten rid of these. Quinta, explain your name. It's an excellent question. Uh, so my first name is from the Latin meaning the fifth child. I am named after my great-grandmother who was in fact the fifth child. But you are not. I am not, correct. I am the first child and I only have one sibling. Um, my last name is Slovenian. It should be pronounced Joricic. It got corrupted on the way across the Atlantic Ocean in the early 1950s. So there you have it. And, um, and how do you pronounce it? So I say it Jurassic, um, but that's basically wrong in every single way. So it should be Joricic, which means son of George, for what that's worth. Um, I think some people pronounce it Jurecic or Jurecic, but I my branch of the family went in a different direction and now I'm stuck with it. All On right. the plus side, Quinta, you could have a name that is very similar to a very uncomfortable medical procedure. So <laughs> like, well, I always I always got Jurassic Park jokes when I was in uh, elementary school. You know, school. I got witless, shitless, titless jokes. So yeah. You know. Well, it's probably a good thing on that last one for you anyways. <laughs> you know, when you're a preteen boy, any like mocking uh, uh, attack on your name is humiliating. And um, now, of course, people make jokes about uh, witticisms, uh, which is kind of flattering. <clears throat> but back then, nobody did. First graders weren't capable of that. Yeah. I want to know how many times people mispronounce the Q on your name. Oh, like all the time. And like think that you're like that it's like a Hispanic Q. Like no, often, um, quite often it makes no sense because in Spanish, so quinta, it could be, you know, having to do with the number five or the like the, the hotel chain, La Quinta. Quinta means like a large ranch estate kind of um so i don't know why you would name your child that <laughs> you, you were spanish was your first language so maybe you're always the fifth a bit child or to something sure but would you name your kid ranch house <laughs> like probably not <laughs> now watch ranch house uh anonymous is going to call in and send swastikas. I, I feel um, their pain. <laughs> Not on the swastikas. Um, all right. Um, where, where are we going with this? Are we, well, I don't know. I'm kind of just interested. We were going to have a Just Us episode because we're both having stressful, kind of very busy days. Um, and, but you know, a Just up Us episode is even better if it's just us and <laughs> Just us and one other person. <laughs> well, mostly because, uh, mostly because, I mean, the three of us have all hung out a bunch. And so that's nice. Um, but also, um, I'm kind of just, I have a few things that I'm batting around and your job all the time, Quinta, is to be watching the news and to read the actual newspaper as described. Although now I'm going to make you a puppet, like for serious. I have a sewing machine here. Now I'm going to I'd make go you a puppet. Go for it. That sounds delightful. Okay. I love um, this idea. Yeah, you say that now and you're going to get some <laughs> weird voodoo doll in the mail and it's going to be like <laughs> very dark. So what um, are you batting around? What's on your mind? And by the way, if you are not a Zoom bomber, and I think we don't have any Zoom bombers. No, we're today. good today. Um, yeah, no, no Zoom bombers. So if you're not a Zoom bomber and you want to get in on the conversation, uh, you know, flag us in the Q and A. And there's lots of things you can ask Quinta about Carl Schmidt. 
then you can ask Quinta about. Uh, 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 Why does that guy keep coming up? It's yeah. his time. Yeah, it's his time. You can ask Quinta about. Uh, uh, why she killed Kate's great idea of calling uh, dis, uh, uh, Arbiter's oh, yeah. Truth disinformation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you can ask, like, it's really an ask Quinta anything kind of situation. So feel free to get in on it. Kate, go for it. Yeah, I'm just kind of, I haven't, I'm like very, um, very what what has been happening to me and i'm curious if this is happening to you but like when i walk away from my computer and my like i walk away from like everything for like an hour at a time or something and i like make this decision to like take a break not from maybe i'll have a phone call like a just audio call but mostly if i like go and work outside in the yard i don't like look at my phone for like two hours or something um, like on a Saturday or a Sunday when I'm not, you know, like when I don't have to be like responding to students. And I'm finding that there's this big shift. I don't consume news in the same way um, anymore. I don't like, I hear about news. I literally like hear about news and current events by coming onto the show and Ben tells me whether or not um, Boris Johnson is in the, uh, is in the, um, I see you. Why is hospital. he our reference point for the beginning of the show now? Yeah, I thought that was like, Boris, Boris Johnson, his medical condition. Yeah, yeah exactly. Although now that he's before. better and out of the hospital, I think we're going to have to have a new one. Well, it's like the Francisco Franco is still dead. The yeah, Boris exactly. Johnson is still <laughs> out of the hospital. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Very good. Uh, um, but my point is, is like, I just like literally like I'm not following this stuff as much anymore. And I don't know what's happening. I was telling John, my partner, I open, so you can see behind me, I have these nice pocket doors that I'm sitting at like a kitchen table and this separate, I have the rest of the kitchen in front of me. And like, I sit here for, I've sat here for seven hours today. And he has like the wood burning stove in there and like the couches and he's like comfortable and he works better on that type of thing anyways. But basically I open the doors at the end of the day and I say, so what happened today? What do I need to know? What is the current state of like everything? Mm -hmm. Gives me this rundown in this very old fashioned way of like, so how was your day? What's going on? His, his day is like, I still don't care what he does all day, but like, I, like, I'm like tell me, tell me what the, what the rest of the world is doing. And he gives me this really nice rundown or we go for a walk and he gives me a rundown. And I'm just like, are you feeling the opposite since you run on like a website all day? Well, so uh, how, how did you consume news before, I guess, right? Like what's the comparison? I mean, I guess like before I feel like every spare moment I was on my, like my phone and like I would have the, the exception, the exception was that when I had in-person meetings or like teaching, I would not be on my computer or phone, but otherwise I was just like constant. I had seemed to have an endless capacity for screen time. Mm -hmm. I guess is really what I'm getting at. Meaning that like, I'm happy to, I was happy to just scroll through if like no one was, I wasn't getting notifications on Twitter or new email. I just scroll through Twitter and look at what the news was. I'd go to the New York times.com. And one, I don't have like the tolerance for more screen time right now to go look at this stuff or to read something, but two, it's depressing, but three, uh, I don't have time because it's like, the, it's an, it feels non-urgent. Like mm -hmm. there are fires I have to put out, which are like, my students are like going to the hospital and like, I'm having to turn in my final exam so that people know what, you know, all of these types of things that are like have to happen right now. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what your day-to-day -day has been like and like what other people's, like what's happening out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I pretty relentlessly consumed news before. Um, as a requirement for the job, honestly, um, because it is a benefit to be able to say, you know, Trump just did this, the DC circuit just did that, right? And be able to, you know, post a court opinion really quickly or respond rapidly to whatever it seems like the new development is going to be. Um, I do think that Lawfare's role is a little less front and center right now um, than perhaps it was during the Mueller investigation and impeachment. And Ben can jump in here and correct me if he disagrees. But um, I mean, I think we 
do have a valuable role to play. Like we've, I'm really proud of the stuff we've been putting out about um, quarantine authority, uh, public health authorities, all that good stuff. Um, we've had a really great run of commentary about the testing and tracking app suggestions for contact tracing, um, whether that's feasible, whether it's legal under the Fourth Amendment, that kind of thing. And I'm really proud of that. But it's less, it strikes me that it's less of a situation where, you know, such and such thing happens and we feel like there is a rush of people demanding to know, you know, like what is Team Lawfare's take? on X, right? Yeah, which which is as it should be, because people should be asking, you know, what is the public health experts take on this? What is the epidemiologists take on this? Um, and so with all that as background, I so basically I, I feel it less urgently, the sort of need as part of my job to stay glued to the news, but just as a person living in the world, um, I am still consuming it pretty unrelentingly, honestly. I mean, I don't, I, my phone still sends me alerts about how much screen time I've I used per day. Ben's been talking about these. <laughs> which is, right, exactly, which is really the sort of self-flagellation that I like to end my day with. But I, I, but I, I you, you have not been watching in lieu of fun. Yeah, that's actually have, not what we're saying. Or you would have seen my rants about this. Okay. But I, but I think that, all kinds of things that like screen time warnings were designed to protect us from, like, you know, not socializing enough, not all of these things now in order to do, we have to use screen time. And so it's actually the meaning of it as a metric has changed completely. And like right now, this is my social hour for the, for the day. You know, I'm spending time with people. We're, engaging socially. This is all the things that Apple is warning us, you know, you're not doing enough of when you use screen time. And, uh, you know, and you have to use screen time to do it. And so like, I think it's actually like, they're gonna have to change what the metric of evil <laughs> is now because screen time is measuring all the good stuff too. That's totally true. I mean, and most of my screen time is honestly Twitter, which I think is as it has ever been. And it's definitely true that the sort of social aspect of Twitter, I do think is important now, right? Like I can get a window that Twitter was how I had a sense of how bad things were in Wuhan very early on. Um, and it is incredible that you can you know, I'm I'm sounding very Pollyannish here, but it is it is genuinely incredible that you can basically find people who are in Wuhan or people who know people who are in I Wuhan don't think from that's across the globe. I think that is like um, I mean, I think it's amazing. John and I were the same way. That's how we were like more him than me. Sorry, but go ahead. No, no, I mean I think we're making the same point, right? It's it's all I mean, Ben, you're I'm maybe reiterating stuff that you've already said, but the you know, this goes back to a point that um, I think Kate made on a Disinfocast episode that we're sort of at an anti-tech lash, right? <laughs> that um, it's the backlash to the tech lash where there's sort of a moment of understanding how incredible um, the, our ability to connect is, right? That we can do this right now. At the same time, it is also true that I've been staring at Twitter all day and with apologies to Ben, have absolutely been less effective than I would have been had I been forced to shut up the news all day. You're fired, Quinta. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't gotten my stimulus check yet, so if you could just wait for another yes, couple of weeks. Yes, your, 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 your job security is- I'm trying to Can figure we, out how to get my stimulus check from 500 miles away from New York City. I don't when, know. Well, you know, it'll have Donald Trump's name printed on it. Uh, but when Quinta oh, that's something that someone could tell me. I was listening to NPR today because I went out to the mailbox in like, which requires a car where I am. But um, what is the what is that thing about? I heard that on NPR. They're like, that's the first time the treasury has ever issued a check with Donald Trump's name on it. What was, what was the he wants? Thing? He wants to have his name on it. Um, that's it. And he can't actually have his name on it in the place where you would normally have a check signed because he's not that's not how it works so his they're putting his name in like in the memo section of the check that's that's what i got 
Oh my God. See, this is As what it should be. <laughs> right. Here, so this is, uh, oh, we have a question here. Let's see if it is a civilized question. Yes, it is. All right, let's rapture this person in. Oh, to, yes, I have feelings about this question because I, I do have certain. Ted Gilchrist, the floor is yours. Hi there, Ben. By the way, I coined the term rapture. I don't know if you know that from the- um, You, you, the you are the coiner of that term. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. You actually left in the comments that it was your aspiration someday to be raptured yeah. in. And I made a note of that and stole it and represented it as my own. Um, <laughs> and, well, uh, and so uh, good on you for calling me on it. No, 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 that's not what I call it. That's not, that's, I would not be so trivial as to, to have that be what I want to talk about. Um, can you hear me okay, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just curious because I know you're all extremely smart people. And so I'm curious, like for me, it's it's a compulsion. Like basically there's there's two fronts of research that I'm really interested in. One is the whole question of opening up the economy and how that's all going to go down. And the other one is things like, you know, um, how they're going to discover a cure for the vaccine. So I, I compulsively seek out news about that. And I'm just curious if any of you do that also or, or what? Um, so what to your first question about opening the economy, um, this is exactly how my thought process went. Okay, this is not going to be... This is like, what is the best way to learn about how we're gonna possibly open the economy? I can try to talk to economists, no one knows what's going on. We can try to talk to government, no one knows what's going on. We can try, okay, the only way to look at this is to maybe go back to like, is to maybe look at Wuhan and like maybe look at places where they are finally opening the economies again and to like look at this by example. But then I remember that basically all of the, um, that all of the uh, all of the opening of the economy might be completely changed if the virus simply goes dormant for in the way that viruses do. Um, that we don't know, like basically, like what the what why the flu virus is seasonal. Um, all of these types of things, um, which brings me to your other question. But one second. But basically. There is like a limit that is usually the point at which I'm like limited in how much time and energy I'm willing to spend on figuring out the answer to a question that is un relatively unknowable and could the whole game of the question could basically ultimately change if this virus alters in some appreciable way. Um, Quinto, but I, I will leave it at that. What are the stories that you're actively following that, you know, not merely out of professional obligation, but that you're particularly interested in right now? Um, it's a good question. Um, I have been really interested in the quest this question of sort of why the virus hasn't hit harder in certain areas, right? So right now, um, Southeast Asia, um, it really doesn't, there doesn't seem to be very many cases there. And you could absolutely say, well, but they're not testing or something like that. But on the other hand, even if you don't test, people will die. <laughs> and there doesn't seem to be much of that either. The same is true well, is my impression. What if they're not the Isn't that the big thing? Well, right. So so with, with giant caveats about how the limit, how, you know, we have limited amount of data on basically everything, right? Um, this is true in Southeast Asia, and it's also true in, uh, I think, across most of Africa, um, kind of in Latin America, although Ecuador um, has been hit really, really hard. And so I've been super interested in discussion around why that might be. Um, and the answer is honestly seems to be like nobody knows, but it's an interesting question. The other thing I've been interested in is this issue of to what what a percent of people who have been infected, um, and apologies to any epidemiologists listening if I'm using the wrong terminology here, I'm very much a, a, a lay person, um, are asymptomatic uh, because that is, obviously a huge issue um, 
in terms of both knowing how to counter the virus and knowing how uh, fatal the disease is if it's contracted. And there also seems to just be a huge amount of variability in terms of estimates on that, right? Um, that, you know, a third, a fourth, 75%, whatever there, I've seen a lot of numbers throw, being thrown around. And so those, those are the things that I've really been focused on, just they've grabbed my attention for whatever reason. That said, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about, uh, I referred to myself the other day on Twitter as a professional opinion haver, um, which I think is more or less accurate. Um, I, as a matter of professional opinion having pride, try to keep my opinion having to issues on which I actually know something. And I do think it is important, right, like to not, there are a lot of people who go out there and basically say, you know, I know calculus, like, let me figure out for you how quickly we can reopen the economy, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very conscious of my own limitations here, right? Um, and so these are things that I've been following. I haven't talked much about them publicly because I don't know what the answers are. I don't know what speculation even is responsible or irresponsible. So it's, it's a strange sort of enabled by social media, but not particularly uh, contributing to it, right? Where I just kind of quietly stalk <laughs> these stories and don't, you know, retweet or post about it. Well, so Quinta, you know calculus. When can we open up the economy? <laughs> well, Ben, the area under the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was, okay, so I'm a dork, but I was like pretty into virology before all of this. And so this is like only deepened it. But the what Quinta said, what what you said about the the asymptomatic but carrying and like the carrying people that can pass it along and whether or not you can self-immunize and like if it's more like if it's more like chicken pox in self-immunization or it's more like kind of I will say I, I had shingles uh just a couple of months ago. So I I can answer any questions about you know yeah, chicken box. <laughs> yeah, you know everything. Tell us everything. What about the virus? Exactly. The exactly. Virus? <laughs> Do you know that shingles, it's really fascinating. Do you know that like smallpox? Well, of course you do because you had it, but like it like exists in like the in the in like in the lumbar areas of your spine and affects like the normal things, which is why it like presents in stripes. Yep. Yeah. I like when I, yeah, I loved, I, well, not loved that, but I always found that to be a fascinating <laughs> manifestation. Like of like- Spoken like someone who's never had shingles. Sorry. <laughs> it was fine. All right. Anonymous attendee. It's better than coronavirus. Definitely. Anonymous attendee, uh, who I assume is a different anonymous attendee than Swan. <laughs> than the one who accused you of being fat and bald. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Says, uh, can you please explain to an underinformed person like me why the Justice Department is under the executive rather than, say, the judiciary? I think it's a problem. Quinta, why is the Justice Department not part of the judiciary? I mean, I don't, there are a lot of different ways to answer that question. I think the, the historical answer is because Congress set it up under the executive branch. Right, and the the executive obviously constitutionally has the power to execute the laws, which involves. I'm sorry, you're you're getting some very nice window shade pattern here right now on me. Um, it kind of like this, this is me nice being raptured across your across the stripes, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Um, and that involves um, identifying instances of law breaking and prosecuting them. So it's within the the uh, executive's constitutional remit. Ben, is that how yeah, they do? Uh, pretty well. I mean, look, the, the executive branch does the activity of the government and the court's job is to adjudicate things. And prosecuting is not a judicial function, it's an executive function. And similarly, you know, a, a large percentage of the executive branch is not the prosecutive functions, but the investigative functions, particularly the, and the Bureau of Prisons, right, is a substantial component of the executive, of, of the Justice Department. And so these are agencies that do things, you know, that, and they, they need to be, uh, you know, the, the judiciary 
you know, sits there and people bring cases and they decide cases. So these are very much executive functions and uh, uh, they are therefore part of the executive branch. Pardon I mean, the interruption. I was getting rid of my second set of stripes. No, it's, I'm a little, I'm like, I'm a little, why, what is the, what, what is the problem that they think exists with the DOJ being in the executive branch? Well, I, I think mean, the implication of the question is that the president gets to appoint Bill Barr and, yeah. and Bill Barr gets to kind of be Bill Barr, you know, and uh, whereas in the entire the, idea of the DOJ is that represent like to a certain, like that it represents the executive branch. Exactly, exactly. Right to like that that it is like that is like it is the law firm of the executive branch exactly and <laughs> like, right, it, like... it's it's actually very hard to uh imagine how it could be part of the judiciary because even if if imagine you you know for somehow put it in the judiciary then it would bring cases in front of the judiciary which is kind of itself right and when when the federal government indicts Kate Klonick, it's United States Justice Department. Which will versus... surely happen someday. Yes, exactly. Um, it almost happened when I was 20 years old. What did you do? Oh, Ben. Ben. <laughs> I was actually 19. And I, um, I'm going to, I'm go like, I hope that the statute of limitations on this is expired. <laughs> well, it would, it would have to be quite a crime for given that you're 34 or 35, uh, uh, according to your Twitter feed. I'm 35. And, uh, uh, and when I was in college, I arrived home one day uh, to my dorm room, my freshman year in college, and I um, tried to check my email and my internet had been shut off. And I said, Hey, um, I called up IT at my university and I said, hello, uh, why is my internet shut off? They said, we received a, um, a, an internet <laughs> assist letter from the RAA um, and, uh, uh, and basically um, that you're in violation of federal copyright law um, because you have been downloading songs from Napster. <laughs> actually to be fair at the time it wasn't Napster the IT guy was wrong I was like over Napster I was on to Kazaa and LimeWire at that point oh my I had um I had uh I was a I was also I was making this stupid mistake of seeding and not just leeching and so I uh let that be a lesson to you now not don't share Kate stop sharing less sharing um and so, uh, yeah, no, I didn't almost get arrested, but this is like the closest I came. I like when I did my FBI background check for both of my federal clerkships for the top secret clearance, I was like, this one time <laughs> federal copyright law. I was kind of like chunk in like the Goonies when he's like crying. Do you, I don't know if anyone remembers. Well, you'll be, you'll be devastated to know, Kate, that yesterday, you violated federal copyright law I know, by, I by playing Free Parton's nine to five on in lieu of fun. <laughs> YouTube showed up in your dorm room and removed it. And so I had to edit out. Uh, and we're not going to be able to do the song of the day anymore because YouTube is on to our illegal uh, copyright infringement scheme. Um, so, uh, you know, no more song of the day for you. Tony yeah. Kava, question, the floor is yours. Hey, you guys are a bunch of criminals. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask about masks, because I know uh, Quinta, if I can be so informal, has been uh, tweeting about yep. that. And I guess my question is, in you know, first we were told not to wear them, now we're being told to wear them. And there's been a lot of discussion, at least on my, uh, next door neighbor or whatever they call that about giving away your n95 masks and as someone in construction i have a few n95s laying around so my question is is uh one of the reasons why you would need a mask is if you're caring for a loved one at home either they would wear a mask or you would wear a mask or both of you would and i would assume a homemade cloth mask really wouldn't cut it if you actually definitely had COVID and were very infectious. So I'm just wondering where we stand on that. It seems to me that if you did have some N95s, you should 
be holding on to at least a few of them in case you have to care for someone. Where are you on the mask controversy, Quinta? I mean, I actually, I, again, so with the caveat that I am not an expert, I am a lay person, it does strike me as a pretty astonishing failure of public health messaging, right? Um, insofar as people were told, I mean, the Surgeon General posted a kind of jokey tweet about like, stop buying masks, people. And then, you know, a month later, uh, the government comes out and says, actually, please have masks. Um, the Washington Post had a story today about staffers in the White House who were trying to get masks for themselves while the government was busy saying, actually, you don't need a mask if you're not a healthcare worker. The whole thing is just a total catastrophe in that sense. So I don't, first off, I think there, I don't blame anyone for being confused. It's incredibly confusing and even I don't understand what, <laughs> what we should be doing and I've been trying to track it really carefully. I will say I personally, um, accidentally came into possession of an N95. Um, a friend let me uh, emergency uh, bag, you know, with like rations and all that kind of thing, um, which she thought had just a cloth mask in it, but it turned out it was an N95. Um, I spent a while trying to figure out what to do with it because um, if you, if you, for people who do want to donate them, there's a website that's called um, Get Us PPE or something like that, um, that you can donate, but a lot of places will not take open containers. And I just had the one. I ended up uh, donating it through something called Mask Match, um, where you can basically just put in the your information and, sorry? The internet is such an amazing place. That's yeah, like it, it was actually, it was great. I mean, I look, I don't have total confirmation that, you know, it got exactly what they said it would get, but I, I have, good reason to believe it did and basically they'll just match you put in you know i have one n95 and someone on the other and will say i need one n95 and i'm willing to accept one that was in an open container and they say like great you know and so i mailed it to tennessee i think um so that was my personal calculation i will say i made that calculation knowing that i was not presently sick. Um, I had a friend staying with me, but she wasn't sick either. Um, I'm not a healthcare worker and I, I am otherwise healthy. So I sort of assessed that given how I understood my own risk, that it made more sense for me to send it to someone else who uh, would need it more. Um, that was my calculation. I think my sense is that it does to some extent, because the public health messaging has been so spotty that people are making these decisions for themselves. Um, and I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, the, the, this is so unsatisfactory, but I think the, really thing, the only thing that we can really do is find the best information we can, uh, make these sort of hard decisions for ourselves. And obviously if you have more than you need, absolutely donate them. And there are lots of ways to do that. Um, and if you know if you have an N95 and you think you would actually be okay with a surgical mask um, or a cloth mask, consider donating the N95 for someone who really needs that and can't settle for anything less. And the other thing is that I don't. I felt like when I was after I donated my N95 mask, I would go out wearing cloth mask and I would see people and N95s and sort of feel angry like you know you're schmucks you have these masks and you're not donating them but the thing is like I don't know what those people's situation is right like for all I know they're immunocompromised and they need to go out and get groceries right or something like that and I don't so I don't think we can know what everyone's situation is and the there's a, a tension certainly in sort of, we all are trying to give as much as we can, um, but then I think the best way to do that is to do that without being angry um, at people who seem to be giving less, but whose situations we, we don't know. That, that's a very long and winding answer. Yeah, I mean, I do think though, when you see somebody outside wearing an N95 mask and no gloves, you have sure. to, you, you, like you do get to ask at that point whether the mask is a vanity statement of some kind. Um, you know, an N95 mask 
in the construction industry is one thing where, you know, it's basically functioning as a particle, you know, a particulate protector for your lungs. But when you're talking about viral protection, your hands are uh, in the long term almost as important as your mouth because you, you know, despite the guidance, you do touch your face, what's on your hands gets in your face. And so, you know, when you look at people in, you know, who were geared up in a hospital, they've got a gown, they've got a, a, a they've got gloves, and they are wearing, they've, they've scrubbed down, and they are wearing an N95 mask, right? But if you're just wearing an N95 mask walking around outside, I mean, it's going to do you something until some particles land on your hands. And then, um, and so I, I guess, my question is when you see the when you see people wearing N95 masks and nothing else, I, I do think it is probably not totally unreasonable to be a little bit irritated with them. Although at the same time, you know, I've also seen I looked into whether I should get gloves, right? Or whether gloves were available that I wouldn't be taking them from healthcare workers. And there's guidance that actually like, you don't need gloves if you're going outside and it's actually more effective if you're just going to the grocery store to just like be really rigorous about washing your hands. So I guess part of my point is just that there's so much conflicting information. Everybody's trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. Most people are being altruistic. Some people are being schmucks. Um, and I think part of what I'm trying to do personally is sort of be, you know, honest and not Pollyanna-ish about what I see around me, but also not be instantly bitter about how everyone else isn't handling this as well as I am. Yeah, I, I don't, I, schmucks is harsh. I think the term I would use is just not calculating risk rationally, and I think we are programmed as a species not to calculate risk rationally. And this is a situation in which it is actually better for your health. You, not you, Quinta, but you, one. It's better for one's health and it is better for the aggregate public health, for other people's health, if everybody exercises a little bit of discipline in assessing risk accurately. And I just, I don't think that is, it is too much to expect, but I don't think it's too much to expect that people try. The thing that I do wanted to say really quickly, and then we'll go to Big Blue Blogger's question, which is just basically that- It's all just an excuse to say Big Blue Blogger, which is really is. fun to say. Um, but, okay, so there's, there's two different levels of shaming that I'm hearing here. Like, and I'm not hearing like shaming from you, Quinta, but I'm hearing you contemplating it. And I think that that's an interesting part of it. But the shaming is two things. One, that people are selfishly hoarding goods that other people need. And then that people are having absolutely no care in the world about the need for goods or like, or like the fact that they should be protecting themselves. And by not protecting themselves, they're putting others at risk. And that those are two really interesting kind of problems that are very, that are like kind of at, opposites in terms of how they're answered economically um, with like the, the market and what the goods are. But that I think that like we can basically, with the, with the former, the idea that we have these people that are, as you said, like kind of like, you don't know the person's immunocompromised position that they're deciding to have an N95 mask and they're not a hospital worker. They, I think that those, I, I think that we should give those people like the benefit of the doubt. I don't know what's happening in your community right now, but in my community, my grocery, my local tiny market, like in this tiny beach town has been having curbside delivery and doing all this stuff, but has had the store open. And they wrote like a desperate plea today of like people to stop coming into the store that aren't, don't have masks. And like the main people that aren't adhering to any of the mask policies are like the locals who do construction year round here and do all this stuff and think that this is like not a real thing or think that this is not actually something that's happening. Not the people who have come here from necessarily, maybe at first it was, but not from Boston and New York. And so I'm kind of like, it's actually like really strange. I feel like an interloper in a community. And if I see some guy in like Carhartts and work boots 
and not wearing a mask and not wearing gloves, getting coffee at the market, oh, it feels really bad to basically shame him. Like, cause I'm like this, this like fly by nighter. I don't live in his community and I've come here to be safe. And like, I'm kind of interloping. So I feel actually this really conflicted feeling. I just kind of wanted to put that out there that like, yeah. when it's that, super clear. That lead, yeah, that leads, uh, Big Blue Blogger has vanished in a puff of smoke. Um, uh, uh, but like this, the genie uh, Latin. sorry. <laughs> but uh, this leads uh, uh, seamlessly to Jen's question. Hello? Are you there? Yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Indeed. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, was just wondering, is anybody there having issues with uh, social distancing when they're trying to work out outdoors? Um, hang on a second. <laughs> I had to stop the Roomba. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, I wish I bugged out with my Roomba. I miss it so much. <laughs> oh, I love, I love my Roomba, but sometimes he's dumb and he doesn't know when to go back to his little stand. But anyway, um, we used to go out on our trails that are like right across the street from our house. And now we basically can't do that anymore because uh, everybody's decided that they're wanting to be, that they're, you're now all of a sudden a jogger and the places it's packed and, and they're walking two and three abreast. So the trails themselves are not even, they're barely six feet in diameter. And so we're, we were having to like walk in the mud and stuff to get around people. And I would, I was wearing a mask and they would just walk by me and smile. And I'm just like, dude, I'm wearing a mask in why are you walking two by two? Like, can't you do single file? I mean, I just wonder, is anybody else having the same problem? Quinta, you have actually uh, been- <laughs> I've complained uh, about this. <laughs> you have complained about exactly this subject. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a problem. Um, I, I will say the majority of people where I am um, in my corner of Washington, DC, I feel like have been heeding health advisories. Like there was, one day when nobody was wearing a mask and then the CDC said actually wear a mask and the next day I went out and vast majority of people were wearing masks. So credit to that. But yeah, no, it's definitely a problem. I personally have been trying to map routes um, that don't take me by narrow paths that take me in you know wider areas or quiet streets and places where people really aren't, which means giving up some of my favorite walking routes. But I, I think it's worth it. Um, it's sort of a frustrating compromise, but I don't know what else there is to do. Big Blue Blogger has rematerialized. Uh, Big Blue, the floor is yours. I am so sorry, Ben. First of all, I, I really want to say I enjoyed your article with Quinta in The Atlantic. Great piece. I wanted to follow up on that. Since uh, you're right about Trump being kind of a lazy authoritarian, just for the benefit of those who haven't seen the piece. Um, what do you think that implies for life after Trump? Can we just let him drift off into his little solipsistic uh, reality TV universe, or do we have to turn the law loose on him in uh, New York and elsewhere? What a great question. Quinto, why don't you give your thoughts on that? And then uh, to the extent they don't dovetail perfectly <laughs> with mine, I will supplement them with my own. Sure. Um, I mean, look, I think the... <sighs> The question of any potential prosecution is a really hard one uh, for reasons of statutes of limitations, um, not to mention questions of whether evidence is there um, and then the sort of normative difficulties of what happens when you have uh, one president uh, prosecute his predecessor, even although we would hope that this prosecution would be taken as much as possible without any political involvement. Um, so I'm gonna kind of table that because I think it's a very, it's a discreet and really tough question. I do think that the suggestion that Trump, I mean, I, the, the New York Times reported this morning, I think that Trump had apparently proposed doing like a White House call-in radio show, which I guess is his equivalent of a fireside chat um about the coronavirus but then had uh self-vetoed it because he didn't want to compete with Rush Limbaugh um 
I mean, I think there, there has been reporting about how what he really wanted to do when he thought he lost the election in 2016 was create Trump TV. Um, so I would imagine that whenever, whatever he does at the other end of this um, is going to involve, you know, some kind of platform, uh, presumably radio or television or God forbid podcast where he can just talk at people and kind of, as you say, um, uh, create the world that he wants to live in. Um, in a way, I've, I've wondered whether he would kind of be happier if he lost in 2020 and then could sort of say, you know, basically have his television network, have his, you know, time on the air and sort of be free to come up with a Dolkschloss myth about how he was wronged and this was stolen from him and then he gets to do what he really likes to do, which is complain and doesn't have to do any of what he doesn't like to do, which is govern. So if if he is out of office, that is my most likely scenario for him. Ben, what do you think? So I agree with Quinta that the question exists on two levels. So the first is, should we be pro should we should it be an expectation that when a president leaves office having committed crimes that we aggressively prosecute those crimes? And I have always thought that the way the Ford administration handled this was elegant and kind of beautiful, which is that the, A, the prosecutors took the position, absolutely, we should prosecute the former president. And the president did not interfere with the Watergate special prosecution force. He did not tell them not to do it. He simply exercised his own prerogatives preemptively to uh, to pardon Nixon, and he did it um, without consultation with the Justice Department, um, so as not to corrupt the Justice Department or influence the Justice Department. He simply did it, and he did it, of course, very publicly and in a fashion that he then took political responsibility for, which probably cost him the election. He went up to Congress to testify about it, um, and I always thought this was, you know, the right posture. Um, and I would have very limited reservations about a similar thing with Donald Trump, except for one thing. And it's a big thing, which is that, you know, Richard Nixon was a deeply corrupt and malevolent figure, but he was content to recede to quiet private life. And he was content to uh, sit on the beach in, in California uh, and then eventually to move to New York and kind of write books and be a sort of elder statesman and actually weirdly to be a kind of constructive player in advising subsequent presidents, including presidents of the opposite party. He had a quite close relationship with Bill Clinton. Um, and a narcissist. I mean, like, that's actually the, like, I don't want to like, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. But like, I've never, I've never heard that before. But yes, it really, like, it, like, there's a narcissism that doesn't, didn't exist in his failure. Exactly. And he was, you he was know, a, he was a more complicated person. Well, he yeah. was, he was, among other things, uh, smarter and more self-aware. And he, he understood that he was in disgrace. And so he spent, <laughs> he spent the rest of his life, um, A, making actually interesting contributions on substantive matters, and B, uh, trying to, you know, diminish the disgrace, which, you know, people will argue about whether he did successfully or not. Um, but I, I do think that's a very, that's an easier situation to say, as Barack Obama said in a different context text, let's look forward, not backward, than somebody who is actively, um, actively engaged in a disruptive fashion in the public discussion, and who is completely unapologetic. And Nixon was modestly apologetic. He acknowledged that he had erred, um, although he did not acknowledge the scope of his or the fact or scope of his criminality. Um, and 
So I do think the posture that Trump takes is going to make is going to make it radically difficult to um, simply forgive him or uh, turn away from him. And the other thing is, I agree with Quinta, he's likely to be a significant media presence. And I also would not, if he loses re-election, I would not put it past him to run again for you. Oh, 100%. And so, and so you're, you're talking about somebody who is uh, potentially not simply a, a past figure in these debates, uh, and somebody whose conduct is not simply in the rearview mirror and kind of like a roadkill that, you know, you have to decide how much time you want to clean up, but somebody who's, you know, you're also speeding toward in some sense. And so I think I that, think makes that I, I mean, you've written this in your book, Ben. I don't think it's something that we've seen in the presidency, let alone government really in the U.S., like it, at least not in modern history. Well, there's nothing like it. I mean, so there is one president Jackson? in history. Not Jackson. Um, uh, 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 Grover Cleveland yes. was elected, defeated, and then reelected to a second non- Oh, I don't mean that. Term. I mean, buried, buried in the Princeton I mean, Cemetery. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say something really quickly. Genevieve, I see you in the participants list. If you would like to ask a question, we'd love to have you on the show. Genevieve is one of my 1L property students who discovered the show. I do not publicize this show to my students because it is undermines my power <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> as a professor. <laughs> I think a little you bit. You know, Genevieve, your professor yesterday on this show <laughs> illegally seized the intellectual property of a law-abiding citizen. Of I love Dolly Parton. And, and- How could you do it? And, and, uh, and, and hoarded it for herself uh, and faced Thanks, punishment at the hands Thanks, of the ben. powers that be. Yeah, sure. <laughs> True story. Hey. I own 35, I own 35 Dolly Parton albums. Um, all of them, and this is like a great moment of like the end of ownership, which we should have Jason Schwartz on, by the way, uh, and uh, to talk about kind of the end of ownership and his work, but, um, and his wife is Kate Crawford, the very famous kind of AI uh, and discrimination in, um, in algorithmic, uh, algorithmic bias uh, scholar. Um, but uh, I was living in upstate New York, clerking for a second circuit judge. And I had, there was not much to do. So every day on my way home from work, I stopped by the Goodwill and I would just kind of like peruse what new stuff had been dropped off. And so one day somebody dropped off 55 Dolly Parton records. Wow. And they were a dollar each in vinyl. <laughs> and I had a record player. Wow. All 55 of those Dolly Parton records. Wait, but you well, said you only own 35. So what happened well, to the Well, I sold the other ones because it turns okay. out to be duplicates. <laughs> for more that paid for all of the, it paid for all of the, uh, it paid for all of the $1 purchases that I bought. But yes. So Genevieve says, I don't have a question today, but I am really enjoying the conversation. And also, if you're going to break the law, what better reason than Dolly? Well said. Uh, it's a really so good way to wrap up our conversation. That is a really good note on which to wrap up. Uh, thank you, Quinta Jurassic, uh, for for coming on the show. Um, and uh, we're not going to have a song of the day today, unless it's like, you know, because you <laughs> have to go happy birthday. You have to go back to Gregorian chant before the stuff isn't copyrighted. Everything has to be in public domain. Yeah. Well, including the performance. I mean, exactly. There's no, but uh, here's what I don't understand. You were playing a YouTube video. I know. If it's a problem, why do they let the YouTube videos stay, uh, stay out there? I literally just brought it up in my internet law class that I was doing before we got here. It's like, it's it's because they have automated technology that catches these things and just garbage. So there's like some type of licensing agreement they got with that YouTube video and then like, that's something that it flagged for something else. It just well, this is, we're going to have to talk about this on a future show. Tomorrow, we don't know who we're having tomorrow, except that it is the day that we're going to hear Maggie Feldman Pilch sing, and we're going to edit her letter with her 
to the New York Times. Oh yeah, is uh, that happening live? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's happening tomorrow. Um, so I don't know, it's, it can't, that won't be fun because you know we're not allowed to have fun anymore. But in lieu of fun, we are gonna uh, have um, uh, a good time uh, with Maggie. And I would know, say I, we have a good time here. I, we I, time. I tweet with Matt, I hang out with Maggie all the time. We, when, when people get together, we work out together and we like have brunch and shit. And uh, we tweet at each other all the time. We share opera. I've never actually heard her sing. So it's gonna be a big day for me. Um, it's gonna be, uh, there's gonna be editing. Uh, there's going to be, we're going to have a screen share. We're going to go over, uh, uh, we're going to do a live edit um, and we're going to hear Maggie sing. So you won't want to miss it. It's, that'll be five o'clock tomorrow. And remember, uh, if you can't have fun in lieu of fun, you can still hang out with us. It's so true. Quinta, thank you for coming on.